0: By directly showing what work we're engaged in to improve our methods and to address these problems, what new things we're building, what new structures we're putting in place, that they are the things that will build public trust rather than just, you know, repeatedly running this line that everything's fine.
1: Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo. I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University and a very special guest, Fiona Bidler. And it's even more special because this is our very first, uh, our very first live recording. Uh, and I'm sitting here because usually a lot of people that I talk to think that James and I are in the same room. Um, that, that hasn't happened yet and it's not going to happen for a while. But for the first time... I'm sitting here live with, uh, with with Fiona in the University of Melbourne. Fiona, thanks for joining us on the show.
0: Oh, thank you. I feel so – it's very special.
1: <laughs> now, Fiona, for, for anyone in the, in the psychological sciences, how would you describe what you do?
0: This is um, a live issue for me. Actually, I spent this morning trying to write out a manifesto of what I think meta-science is um, – to present at the AMOS conference that we'll talk about. So I think what we're doing here in my research group is we call it interdisciplinary meta-research. So in this group we have psychologists, ecologists, statisticians, people who've defected from medicine and education and history and philosophy of science, and we're trying to do proper interdisciplinary work across those fields.
1: And and a big part of that is the uh, is the Replicats project. What is the Replicats project?
0: Uh, Replicats is a new project for us that we started this year. It's a big project. So we've since it started, we've hired about fifteen new people wow. in our group to work on it. And it's about um, predicting about whether people can predict which studies are likely to. Replicate or not. So obviously, doing replication studies themselves is a very intensive and expensive exercise. And if we can have some other cheaper, more efficient way of figuring out which things will replicate, it can relieve some of that burden.
1: Yeah, because I, I saw a few months ago, or saw um, for, for the SIPS conference, you, you and a group of, of, of your researchers here um, went across to the SIPS conference, um, and I saw. There was a there was one piece of luggage and that was dedicated <laughs> that was dedicated to Tim Tams. I think it's really important that you actually are teaching these these fancy <laughs> Europeans a bit of, a bit of Aussie culture by taking across these Tim Tams. You had a
2: Tim Tams. Yeah. <laughs> suitcase. Um,
0: Hannah Hannah Fraser, one of the postdocs in my group, did carry an entire suitcase of over I think thirty five packets of Tim Tams.
2: Incredible.
0: Yeah. We
1: were <laughs> hoping a, that what we'd a get a nice questioned.
2: person. I don't know if she I don't know if she listens to the show but uh, I'm going on the record as she's uh, she's lovely. Now, um, speaking of speaking of iconic Australian snacks, let's take a quick break to play a little game. Name this tune.
1: <sighs> <laughs> you crack, you've cracked up in a tinny. <laughs> what is that? Finally, finally
2: we're not recording a podcast <sighs> in the middle of the day. Uh, it's finally half past eight at night for me. This is the first time I've got to have a beer on my own podcast in 95 six episodes. Literally the first time.
0: I would not have guessed that from listening.
1: <laughs> now now, now we're at one psychologist yeah. one beer. one psychologist one beer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, shout out to Mick the Prick and one beer in bar. I know you're out there somewhere ignoring our podcast because you have better things to do, like fighting the rising tide of cheap lager or whatever it is you people do. Cheers, you too.
1: So, Fiona, so you 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 went across to, to SIPs to run um, one of your Replicats workshops. Uh, from a practical standpoint, how would a Replicats workshop be run? What, what happens during these workshops? Uh,
0: so, over... Th- That particular workshop at SIPS ran for two days and we had uh, people working in small groups, groups of five or six, and they were given a set of claims, usually somewhere between 20 and 25 claims to do over the two days. So what people do is um, within their group is they start with one claim. These are – by claims I mean kind of – the main finding of a research article. So people would have that main finding extracted and summarised with some statistical information, the evidence that's meant to support that claim, and a few other bits and pieces, and then a link to the whole article if they want to um, look more deeply into it. And so we asked people to make some private judgments first about whether they think the claim is even makes sense, whether they think the effect is real, And then how likely is it to replicate with particular definitions about what we mean by that? So they do private estimates first. Then we show the rest of their group each other's estimates and they have to discuss. And the point of those discussions is not to reach any sort of consensus. Rather, we want them to say that person's interval over there looks really different to mine. What do you know that I don't know? So to talk about counterfactuals and share information and then at the end of the discussion, they um, have an opportunity to privately update those estimates and tell us anything else that they didn't want to share with the group. So if they happen to know something personal about the researchers who mm. ran that study, and they don't, they want to disclose it, but they don't want to actually tell other people in the room, then they have a chance to tell us that at the end. So we did that. We had thirty groups at SIPS doing that simultaneously. Wow! We'd booked out the entire conference <laughs> venue, and um, doing that pretty much constantly for two days. Wow! Mm.
1: And so I understand there are there are three thousand claims mm-hmm. that you're evaluating, mm-hmm. um, and so you, you took a portion of those to SIPS, and then you evaluated those claims. Yeah. And then you also, you run workshops here at the University of Melbourne. That's right, yeah. Um, but also provide the opportunity by other people who run workshops as well. And I saw that you're actually doing virtual workshops too. Yeah, they'll, or you're they'll, thinking they'll about start
0: that? In, um, in November. We'll have a plat- the full platform set up so that people can log in from anywhere, join a remote group Maybe. online and um, estimate as many claims as they find interesting or problematic,
1: how far through the 3,000 are you?
0: We're up to about 600.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay, so it, it, you're not going to be getting through them anytime soon because it takes a while for each claim.
0: We we have to be finished by June next year.
1: Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> hence, hence the uh, the rollout um, of the virtual workshops. At,
0: at which point we'll be given another three thousand claims to do over the following eighteen months.
1: Wow! Mm. And and can you walk through how the the because of, of course there are hundreds of thousands of claims out there in the literature. How were these twenty thousand, three thousand claims actually selected in the first place?
0: Um, they so that that selection process is not something that we're doing okay. so the, the way replicates is part of a broader progr- research program called the SCORE program that's organized by DARPA and there's a separate team Brian Nosek and the Center for Open Science are curating uh, a bigger data set a data set of 30,000 claims Wow. that our 3,000 are um, sampled from so we we know what disciplines they come from so they come from eight different social science disciplines including psychology
1: what about criminology
0: criminology oh. yeah in fact the journal that i think you're referring to is on our list of journals
1: interesting
0: it is very interesting not not entirely sure what, what how we're going to manage that within the project yet so th- um, so that's that other team at the center for open science are curating that data set they feed us the 3000 Claims that um, we're working on, and then they we're blind. They'll also be running a subset of replication studies that sort of are the ground truth to test our predict the accuracy of our predictions on. And but we are blind to they'll probably be replicating about ten percent of those three thousand, and That's we're blind lot. to which ones are being replicated.
1: Okay, okay. So so you've got you're looking at whether people without actually running the study can predict whether it's going to replicate. Yeah. Um, and then um, uh, there's other groups of people who are actually running the replications. And yes. wow. Okay.
0: And then there's a third part of the project, which is um, which we, we don't actually know yet which teams are involved in that. They'll be developing machine learning and AI algorithms that control through the entire database of 30,000 and assign confidence scores to those. And they will be tested against our predictions wow. so it's like a humans versus machines
1: humans versus thing. machines hello <laughs>
2: <laughs> i wish we had a good claim we could do live maybe we could get one of dan's papers <laughs> see what fiona thinks of it
1: i was um i, I was almost gonna ask because uh, there's a lot of papers that i would like to uh, within my field at least oxytocin has gone through a lot of hype um maybe there's an oxytocin paper given i've had a quick look at the journals within psychology that you're evaluating and I know there's been a few oxytocin papers there, but um, say if I wanted to actually run the ruler over a few papers using your your, your protocol, how would that actually, was that actually possible to do, to, to use the same sort of procedures for yeah. doing pa- papers outside the scope of these 3,000?
0: Yeah, and we would love that. So, we, we built this, I mean, not me personally, but people on our team have built the platform that we use to host these claims and that people enter their predictions on and have their little discussions on. And we would love if after this is finished that that platform got used for other things, that mm. people could use it to upload their own papers and send them off to one of these groups, for example.
2: Yeah. It'd be a good thing for Journal Club, wouldn't it? It'd Everyone be, writes it beforehand. You go in, you have the discussion, yeah. and then you will rate it blind afterwards. That would be an interesting addition to any, any given journal club.
0: It would be you know, a really – on the line. Um, I'd love to see it attached to some kind of preprint server even to have this oh. sort of set up around. Because a, a lot of the people who participated in our workshop at SIPS um, were early career researchers, PhD students, postdocs, and they said that they found it really useful as you know as they embark on doing uh, in many cases their first peer reviews for journals that this was a really useful exercise to sort of calibrate their impressions of the paper against other people's hmm. impressions and to see whether what they'd missed or whether they agreed with other people about the overall assessment of the paper. And so I think I think it can be a really useful exercise for peer review training, but um, also maybe for actual peer review itself.
1: I think what's really interesting is that the, the, the mark of how we actually look at whether this is an important paper, a paper with impact, mm. is, is shifting. Whereas in the past, it would be about what journals are published in. But now we know impact factors are shit. Then it kind of went to, okay, let, let's look at every paper individually. Let's look at the citations. Um, but that necessarily isn't a measure. And there was a recent study that came out that actually demonstrated um, that citations are not a good measure of the replicability of a particular paper. Um, so I think what would be great because we, we had an we had an episode on this recently, James. Where we were talking about Google Scholar and the role that it plays in citation oh. patterns. Um, and a lot of people will put a search term in, look at a paper, ah, oh, that has a hundred citations, it must be good. Um, I would love to actually see in the future that alongside the citations, you get some sort of score, some replicability score, to actually see because because really, when you think about it, the most important thing about an outcome is would this actually replicate, or does it actually replicate? Um, much more, It seems to be much more important than how many citations does it have or which fancy journal was it published in.
0: Yeah, I think that's particularly important for end users of the research, I mean for scientists as well, but for other end users of the research too when they're making important decisions about whether they should take this piece of evidence and base a decision on it or base some piece of policy um, on it. They need information beyond what's in the paper to help guide that.
1: Well, it's super important. I was actually, um, I'm, I'm back in Australia, i um, visiting, and I was at um, my parents' house, and they gave me a whole bunch of um, a whole bunch of papers, and among them was my assessment for my honors project, and my honors project was on ego depletion. Oh, I chose. Wow. I did ego did not know that. Yes. <laughs> I chose <laughs> ego depletion, and the first line of it didn't work on you, did it? <laughs> the, fir- the, the, the first line of the assessment was: "It is a shame that Mister Quintana's project did not replicate." <laughs> And now I know why. (laughs) If only I knew back then um, that it was it was built on 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 a very shaky ground. But right now, yeah, um, uh, yeah, it all came flooding back to fact, and and it was an incredible amount of stress because I did my experiment and didn't work. And back then, I saw that as a reflection of my own ability, Um, not the fact that it was you know (laughs) built on a house of sand. Um, So it's really important that we can actually evaluate how. Um, how, how much these things are likely to replicate or not? If just for the sake of poor, yeah. poor students, imagine all the students that are out there, like like myself, doing all these projects which don't even replicate.
0: Um, I've got a dodgy things I did in my honours year story as well. Okay,
1: please, please share
0: <laughs> that. Um, so the the project that I did in my honours year when I, I was in psychology then was about alcohol and information processing. Okay, and a, a meta analysis had come out the year before. Um, that my supervisor was determined to prove wrong for some reason so we ran a single study to try and disprove this meta-analysis and um, after we'd run about I can't remember exactly maybe 20 or 30 subjects through the lab we ran the analysis and um, uh, no it's not quite significant yet let's get another 10 in so we did and then it was significant
1: oh. and um,
0: and then they gave me a prize
1: wow mm.
0: Mm. so dodgy. and I, I knew then i think that something was was up in psychology
1: but it's kind of weird cuz 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 back back then it, w- it was only until a couple of years ago almost that th- those sort of practices people would just go okay we just collect more people people just didn't understand yeah that you just uh, that you can you can't do those things what, what about you james do you have any Replication. What, what did you What did you do for on it? Didn't you do economics or something for your for your honours? Um,
2: um, you're gonna hate me. I can't remember what it was on.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: you can't I remember I, what your honours project was on.
2: Well, I did a graduate diploma, which is like uh, honours for people who are a bit dim. Um, what was it on? Oh, yes. I, I do remember. Um, it was on something to do with skepticism and false beliefs and the Barnum effect. I found it very interesting that there were people who were unbullshittable and there were other people who were incredibly bullshittable. Um, there wasn't anything particularly problematic about it. I took my shot. I analyzed it. I did pretty good. Man, I wish I had a better story for you. <laughs> I just sort of—I uh, mean, this—this is—I—I have a terrible memory, Dan, and it is also the end of a very long day. I honestly have to go and look it up. Isn't that dreadful? I mean, I've heard plenty of stories being in the department at that point in time. We, we, we knew. I mean, I'm comparatively youthful, he said, lying through his teeth. But I, I, I absolutely remember sort of scuttlebutt about the traps of people who were, you know, it was spoken in hushed tones. Well, she'll, she'll just keep running participants until that experiment works. We didn't understand the statistics, but I mean, if you've got more than one outcome, it just stood to reason. Without the, the, the slightest bit of, uh, the, without the slightest empirical bent that if you had enough outcomes and you had enough people delivered in batches over time, that eventually something would limp over and that would be the end of the story. And we all, we all thought it was quite dicey, um, we just didn't really know why. So, I mean, the environment was definitely the same, uh, absent of my shit memory of what I did in it, you know? It was. Um, I I wonder if people's opinions have really changed about things like this as much as they've been kind of filled in with the hard facts of how it works and then emboldened. Do you remember thinking that that was okay?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well. Oh, it always struck me. I mean, you've you've given me a ton of shit for being a grumpy old goat over the years, but it always struck me as tremendously problematic just on first principles. Yeah, I- I mean, you can model that, Dan. You could like d- dick around with code for half an hour and you go, oh, "Okay, well, fair enough, that's easy." Remember? we used to sit around modeling type 1 errors all the time when mm. it came to HRV stuff? Yeah, yeah. Just fiddling with numbers.
1: Yeah. So many degrees so many research de- degrees of freedom with, yeah. with with biosignal stuff.
2: Oh, well, you, you, but I mean that's that, that's just our end of the very long multifaceted wedge. Yeah. Did I interrupt you, Fiona? I'm sorry. I've it's I've been awake for fifteen hours. I think I spent thirteen of them writing or coding something or uh, wanting to eat paint and live in a hole. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's okay.
1: <laughs> Thinking about the um the replicates project, um, how would you define it as a successful project? Like at, at the end, when you get to the end of it, how how what what sort of um come would you go, Yep, yeah, that, that was great. That's exactly what I envisaged.
0: Um, for I, I can only speak about, you know, us and of our course. part of the project and not the broader school program. But, um, you know, for me, I'd really liked to see this I'd, – uh, I'd really like to do some test of this as a new peer review process to have this either – Bit turn into a training program that people could do to, to um, learn peer review skills or to, for example, see it attached to a preprint server. Um, I don't exactly know what that would look like and I mm. haven't really thought through any of the, these ideas yet, but that's, that's kind of where we're going with it.
1: Okay. And, mm. I mean, we know that peer review can take a long time. Uh, applying these principles, how much extra time would it take for a typical paper? To actually add this onto a typical peer review that you're doing,
0: the process in our workshop—it's funny actually. One of my postdocs had calculated before the workshop that each paper would t- should take 28 minutes each. That was the time that she had allocated in okay. the schedule for each paper, and it turned out to be pretty much perfectly accurate. That's so there's a little bit of variation. There was about probably two to three hours variation between groups and how long it took them to get through their set of claims, mm. but 28 minutes was pretty, pretty spot on.
1: Look, that's not bad at all. Um, mm. And I, I think it's good to formalise this because I've, I've seen, just coincidentally, I've seen a few talks from some editors of journals recently, and all of them, funnily enough, had this sort of one theme when, when they're looking at a paper and thinking about a paper, they have this kind of sniff test of, would this actually replicate and now it kind of just seems like you kind of look at it and you're like, oh yeah, it's got these qualities, it's got that qualities. But to actually formalise that that process within the peer review process, I think would be would be fantastic.
0: I mean, the, these groups were doing quite different things too. Like some, uh, what will be great at as we go along in this project is to find out more about what exactly it is that people are doing when they make these judgments. So um, we've collected not only people's quantitative probabilistic predictions about replication or their ratings of how comprehensible the claim is, whether they think it's real or not, but also just hours and hours of um, qualitative information as well. So, comments that they type in on the platform. We took recordings of all of the discussions that people Mm -hmm. had in that workshop and there's a lot of information in there about what kind of cues people are relying on, what heuristics they're using when they rate something low or high, and trying to match those up with which predictions were most accurate. I Ooh. think will give a lot of information about what the right how to how to make these judgments, but um uh, also where the most value can be added by doing replication studies. So in cases where Everyone agrees, for example, that a particular claim is very clear, that it's almost certainly demonstrating a real effect and that it will very likely replicate. But their comments will show that, you know, it's it's only all of those things because it's basically a tautology. Like it has to replicate because it's necessarily true because of the way they've operationalized measures. So, in fact, replicating it is kind of – you know, almost a waste of time when you have such high-level consensus around those things. In other cases where there's a lot of disagreement about what's going on, about whether the effect is likely to be real or not, or whether this particular study will replicate are cases where you can imagine a replication study adding a lot more value.
1: Because that's a really good perspective and that's something that I've actually thought about a lot speaking with the Larkins group, Daniel mm. Larkins. Yes, yes. I know him him, and uh, Peter Saga and a few of those people. Yeah, I've
0: been talking to Peter oh, as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I visited that group um, a month or two ago and, and they mentioned that. Like, I didn't even think of that. Um, we only have X amount of resources, so we can't replicate or, try or attempt to rep- replicate everything. There is some studies which will have greater value in actual re- replication, so I, I think that's fantastic. Mm. Um, and coming back to these these heuristics that people are using, um, do you have any early indication about what heuristics people do tend to use and which ones are actually accurate?
0: Well, we, we know people rely a lot on sample size and p-values sure. to make those decisions.
1: 0.03. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, so uh, actually there was one, one group I remember at SIPs who had come up with a heuristic that if it's anything over a three-way interaction, just say no it automatically? Not no. <laughs> a, yeah. So there's a, there's a, you know, there's a range of things depending yeah. on the type of study. You know, whether it's experimental psychology studies or whether it's yeah. kind of economic modeling. You know, there are different heuristics in different disciplines.
2: Oh, that seems like a pretty reasonable heuristic. We were m- mocking totally. a paper on the internet the other day where um <laughs> this is one one of these uh one of these classic priming whatever results where they'd managed to, they'd managed to excavate a four-way interaction, which I didn't (laughs) even know was a thing. Um, Can SPSS even do that? Well, I I don't have the slightest idea. Um, And I... I, I I looked it up because um it was being roundly mocked, and there were uh eight people per cell,
1: no in twelve
2: groups or something, <laughs> and there was no. this beautiful there was this beautiful result that just came uh, marching out of it. So I'm going to put that one in the no column, <laughs> <laughs> uh, except for the fact that um uh. Randy McCarthy and pals already did a massive replication of it, and it turned out not to have a d of four hundred and fifty-seven or something. <laughs> um. So look, I, I i quite i quite like that. I mean, you 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 excavated some incredibly dicey interaction. I think I have a lot of those for reviewing uh, any individual paper. What What are yours? I bet Dan does. Dan's always got little tricksy Hobbit business, Fiona. What are yours, Dan? Um, What are your bullshit heuristics?
1: My my bullshit heuristics um, for meta-analysis is, um, look, it it might be unfair, but the choice of software that's used. Mm. Um, There is point-and-click software, but it doesn't actually require much expertise to use that. And when I dig deeper into these papers, people who use this point-and-click software often make fatal mistakes to the paper versus people who are using uh, for instance, R packages, where you actually need to understand very carefully what you're doing. Um, so, that heuristic almost always holds up. Um, not to say that I immediately dismiss a paper that uses the software, but I'll read it much, care- much Can more. Can I guess than- what it is? Go for it.
0: Is it CMA?
1: Yes. <laughs> but look, look I'm mean, going to be honest. My first meta-analysis or two, use CMA. Um, if you're doing very straightforward meta-analysis, um, CMA will be okay. But once things start getting a bit more complicated, mm. then, yeah, it's- um,
2: <laughs> Yeah, you need to code your lies, not click through an IDE.
1: Yeah. it's um, So, f- so f- for meta-analysis, that would be that would be a big thing. Um, and also, one of the first things we do for meta-analysis is almost always um, people will say, we use the Prisma guidelines. We abided by the Prisma guidelines. Um, but then when you actually look at the checklist, they didn't. They-, they missed out on a lot of stuff. Stuff wasn't pre-registered. So, it almost seems like people are saying it by rote. They see that other people right. wrote in their papers we use Prisma Guidelines and people are just writing that because they have to. Um, without yeah, a, it's without. the
2: same way people have- uh, Have you read the Declaration of Helsinki, Dan? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's riveting. No, I haven't, I haven't read the entire Declaration.
2: No right. Well, I'm sure you've mentioned it a couple of times in a paper somewhere. How you you conducted all your research in a in yeah? Pure that's that's because it, it's up to my
1: that. local ethics committee to 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 make sure that I'm doing that.
2: Yeah. Okay. But th- is there anything in the Declaration of Helsinki that might be a problem where you where you might have gainsaid it? Gainsaid? Gainsaid?
1: gainsaid. <laughs> what? sort I don't know. What about you, James? Basically,
2: look, everyone, everyone, everyone does that for. What do you mean? What
1: about me? Heuristics that you use when you're reviewing papers within psychophysics. Well, I'd, r- I'd
2: rather hear about Fiona's rather than the, the laundry list of sort of horribly specific, vicious, critical things that I think. What about Fiona's?
0: Um, uh, so, I think it's a, it's a a it's a much harder question than I realized when we put in this grant application thinking when we were writing the grant application I wrote something like oh you know we'll just get all the existing guidelines top guidelines prisma whatever and work backwards from those you know we'll take the things that we think people should be doing and then check if they are doing them and that'll be some sort of guide but when we tried when we really seriously thought about that and started to try and implement that we realized that it wasn't it wasn't going to work backwards. That we'd be overweighting. You know, if you look, for example, to see where a study whether a study is pre-registered. Well, mm. the studies we're looking at go back to 2009, and nothing's going to that. That's not going to discriminate a good study from a bad study. And if we put it in some sort of uh, checklist for people, then they'll overweight it, and yeah. things will get marked down that shouldn't be. So constructing constructing that list. Well, to be honest, in the end, we just gave up. We didn't. So, we don't give – we give people some very basic instructions about, um, you know, what a p-value isn't or um, sample size is important, some very basic stuff. (laughs) But apart from that, we just leave them alone and we'll be trying to construct what the right cues and heuristics are from what they do. Mm. Like So, taking those people who are accurate and seeing whether they're doing something different to other people. Mm. But, but, James, I, I don't know. I think you do have, like, you probably do have a better list than just about anyone else I know of how to detect bullshit.
2: Yeah. I was just saying while you were talking, I, I had sort of uh, like a dolphin that sleeps one side of the brain <laughs> at a time. I was thinking of all the things that I used to do that. Um, stacked operationalizations is a big one. Okay, we're we're gonna we we're, we're comparing uh, hypothetical quantity A to hypothetical quantity B, and both of them are operationalized into one measure into one particular task. Um, anything that I feel like will have a sprite made me super well aware of this. Anything that I feel like will have a odd underlying distribution where it passes uh, Kolmogorov Smirnoff test or something like that. Oh, it's technically it's normally distributed, but it actually is a hunchback looking piece of shit. It's only normally distributed because it's truncated on the left-hand side. Lots and lots and lots of variables like that. Anytime where there's a potential for a variable like that where it's not transformed or they don't talk about how they're going to handle it in the first instance is a huge red flag. Um, I picked that one up from Dodgy Media um media violence aggression research um i won't bore you with the HIV specific stuff but there's probably 40 to 60 individual things where i'm capable of raising my blood pressure about like some small element of signal analysis that someone should have known to be able to do it properly um, there's lots of EEG pathway stuff. There's lots of things that you can't claim with EMG because it's not possible, but people like doing it anyway because most sports scientists were educated, apparently, in a corridor surrounded by giant bees or something. Um, anytime you've got a long string, you know, there's those studies where you go, we're going to have five of them in sequence and you have one after the other and they each contain a little sort of replicable thing in the, the classic- Like a uh, perfect story. Yeah, yeah, J.O. Uh, journal of General Psychology, whatever the hell it's called, that incredibly boring journal where there's 4,000 pages for each individual study. Um, not really the kind of, um, R curve, uh, P curve business, but the fact that when you continually have um p-values that are close to whatever threshold is chosen but they're stepping in the individual hypotheses. So we test three different, we, we, we test three capacitors and we find one specific thing and then we look at the one specific thing but then we find a qualification to that. Then we compare that qualification to the first thing and then we find a third thing. Anytime that you see forking between how people construct multiple hypotheses, um, unless you've pre-registered that and locked it in the vault at the bank of england i start to have serious doubts especially when you get five six seven results that all behave themselves in the same direction in the first place um obviously anything that's immediately replicated and it goes p equals 0.047 and then they do it again and they go oh it's slightly better p equals 0.42 and then you mash both of those together and then claim that the p value is really low (laughs) hey cousin doesn't happen um, I could go on until we all fall into an early grave. Um, wow. So many things. Yeah. Everything you said about um sample size in particular makes perfect sense. And anything that's uh, anything that's got really even cell sizes without any dropouts or do- or has a mismatch between how they understand recruitment and how they report what eventually happens. And I don't mean that necessarily it's reported wrong as much as that there's a procedure between the two that implies that things are missing. A thousand features of graphs. Um, anytime you have a cutoff, Um, And there's things that are missing in quadrants when you have patchy quadrants. Um, A lot of the time it means that you've censored data that looks particularly weird, that makes the cutoff look better without affecting the overall correlation. Um, Any correlation that's done by a weird method that I don't recognize that's a like oh we didn't and we didn't really like that one and we heard Pearson was a racist so we used this one that's called a that <coughs> the,
1: the, the, the we that we made up
2: correlation that that is yeah you know or we did yeah then we thought we'd just do we'd, we'd we'd throw in a log rank or something and put on a wizard hat and then we saw what would happen after that look on and on it goes. um uh, but the biggest one of course would be failing uh, failing an error detection test sure. even if it doesn't really even if it doesn't really matter, even if it's something that's missing mm. um, even if it means nothing whatsoever about the honesty of the research, if it just means that there's an oversight, is it in general it means something's underreported yeah. um, That's a, everything I can think of off the top of my head what talking for 5 minutes solid and running out of beer how was that
1: <laughs> on that yeah. note we're going to take a very quick break and we'll be back soon <laughs> we'll be back soon with with more everything hurts if two hurts episodes per month isn't enough for you you can hear an additional bonus episode by becoming an everything hurts patron for only $5 a month If you can't swing the $5 but still want to support the show financially, we also have a $1 per month tier, which gives you access to a monthly newsletter. All of your financial support goes directly back into the show. If you want to support the show non-financially, we'd love it if you could leave an iTunes review or share links to the episodes on social media. Now, let's get back to it. Welcome back to Everything Hurts for this episode. uh, We are live, two out of three of us are live at the University of Melbourne here with uh, Fiona Fiddler and uh, we're talking about the Replicats project. Um, But I want to ask you about this upcoming conference that you have, AMOS conference. Can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, we started a new association Ah. this year. We just made it up. Um, So, last year in September, a group at the University of Queensland had a little... Well, what they thought was going to be a little meeting, um, a SIP style meeting, organised by Eric Vanman. He thought maybe thirty or forty people would come, and about come and about one hundred and fifty people wow. showed up. And um, and so we realised, Eric. Yeah, we realised then that we kind of had a a meta science community in Australia that hadn't really been connected before. So we followed up having an event here at Melbourne when Samin came to visit in November last year. And then that was, again, over 100 people came. And we thought we, we should do something with this energy. So we started AMOS, which is the Association for Interdisciplinary Meta-Research and Open Science. And we incorporated this year. And now we're having our first official conference next month in November Um, which is very exciting, and James is going to come out for it. Hey. Toot, toot.
2: Yeah, coming back home like a crap freight train. Actually, freight trains never cross the Pacific Ocean, like a flying
1: vehicle I don't
2: know who saved me someone and, and, and pe-
1: pe- people can still register
0: yes yes they can um, the early bird registration closes in a couple of days but Ooh. even but the people can register it'll still be really cheap even after that yeah. and people can register up until the date so this will have talks from across psychology medicine um, economics information science so Jevon West will be here giving his talk oh. his famous talk from the science symposium. And um, library science, statisticians, philosophers of science. Incredible! So in the morning we have um, talks, and then in the afternoon we'll move into sort of a, a workshop hackathon unconference style program. Yeah. And we're hoping that those two things together will will work. And um, we're very excited about it. And before that conference, we're running the day before that conference, we're running another big. Replicates workshop, like the one that we ran at Sips.
1: Tim Tams, plenty of Tim Tams. Sorry, you're going to be having plenty of Tim Tams.
0: Oh, t- um, <laughs> Tim Tams are less exciting once you're in
1: Australia. <laughs> <laughs> they're exciting. Some, they're exciting for me.
0: Samine's demanding Lemmingtons. Lemmingtons, so it Might be a lemmingtons. Okay,
1: mm-hmm. uh, have, have you introduced Samine to the uh, to the ice
2: <laughs> I, oh, that's a th- I've forgotten. About
1: yeah, bring out, bring out the iced photos.
2: Dan, yeah. Dan how old are you, <laughs> mate?
1: I've been, <laughs> c- 60, I, I, I've been out of the
2: sixty. That's a sixty-five-year-old man's biscuit. I've been out of the country did, what for did you, five what years. Why don't you get some Cadbury Quality Street and some <laughs> <nice> Quality Street? <biscuit laughs> Look, and I've been nice out of the country. I've been of out of the country for too long. Tea, you fucking pinching e-
1: Even e- even. <laughs> Even the simplest things get 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 me uh get me all all excited now that I'm back in uh back back in the homeland. But yes, um, you
2: are the simplest thing.
1: Yeah. What? So what? What date is Amos?
2: Seventh
0: and eighth of November.
1: Perfect. So the episode will be out well, well well before when uh yeah. So yeah, come come along and, and James, what do you what do you do you know what you're what you're speaking on?
2: Oh yeah, uh, all my work. Cool. Fiona, we have a whole bunch of new uh techniques and kind of background stuff that we've been working on um that are sort of a combination of released and not really understood and i want to talk about kind of establishing error detection as an area and how the techniques work and how people could use them Mm. um and the kind of the the, the the thrust that's behind the idea, I suppose, like the mentality at work between how to read something critically and how to read something analytically. Is that good? Yeah. I
1: that think that sounds good. Oh, good. S- everyone good talk uh, accepted. Come along yeah, in yeah. here, James. Now, Fiona, um, would you have ever thought. That um, Bob Catter would have some crossover with your work. That Bob Catter would have opinions about the quality of research. Now, James, can you can you can you explain to our non-Australian listeners who Bob Catter is?
2: Bob Catter is a dung ball in a hat. <laughs>
1: He Bob is um, a member of parliament who, who once claimed that there were there, there were no homosexuals in his entire electorate of um, of a hundred thousand people, among, among other wild, wild and woolly. Well,
2: they might have taken one look at him and all left.
1: Yeah, the hygienic. He he is um he's literally a is he is he actually a cowboy? He's I don't know. He, he dressing?
2: No, he's not. He's just he's cosplaying as a cowboy because it's <laughs> it's, it's it's fun for him.
1: So, Bob and a few other politicians of his of his ilk um, have come out recently to, um, to suggest that we need some sort of measure of research quality. And, uh, Fiona, you wrote a, a conversation article along with Samin, um, Alex Holcomb. And who else was on the article?
0: Uh, Martin Bush and Bonnie Wintle, who are postdocs here in at the University of Melbourne.
1: Can, can, can you walk us through this whole story with this proposal?
0: So, there are um, – I mean, this is – This is just Australia's version of a, you know, a common move, I think, at the moment, which is to invoke the replication crisis as evidence that you can't trust science. And so, you know, climate change isn't real or vaccinate, you don't need vaccinations or something. So it's using, (laughs) using this evidence from social psychology (laughs) or preclinical medicine to make claims about very different types of science so it's happened in the uk with climate denial groups and uh, you know and it's happened in other places too and now you know three or four years after everyone else australia (laughs) australians (laughs) have worked out how to do this and it's come up as um the national the national party have a proposal at the moment to establish a center for research quality control so I forget it, quality assurance or something like this, but it and they have a couple of times now directly referred to the replication crisis. So politicians have, and also this farming lobby group called AgForce okay. has been talking about the replication crisis as but in, well in
1: social psychology, and they're somehow yeah, and wow.
0: they're somehow connecting it to water quality in the Great Barrier <laughs> Reef. Yeah,
1: social psychology causing causing the uh, problems with the. the- yeah.
0: Far but it, but it's a it's a little bit frightening. I mean, I think we sort of we have to we have to take this a bit seriously. Yeah, I think because the a common response to this sort of thing is to to fall directly into scientism. You know, a, a, a straight out defence of science where science is untouchable. Yeah, you know, we have our, our methods and it's self correcting, and you can't criticise it at all. And I think people do that because they're so af- they're so afraid of giving ammunition to these anti-science groups or these climate denial groups, and and we get you know this must have happened to you in your work as well that. We get when I have written publicly or spoken publicly about these problems, we do kind of get a atta- – Well, there are two responses one is you shouldn't be talking about this in public, you're just giving ammunition to the when the whole world's unvaccinated, it'll be your fault, <laughs> or the or another response, which is, um, that it's okay to do that self correction work in private, like, sure, we need to do it, but we but we don't but we shouldn't talk about it publicly. Mm. Like we should just keep it to ourselves and get our own house in order and um, not let the public in on it. And I I think both, you know, I think that that latter response in particular just misunderstands how public trust in science works That by showing how by directly showing what work we're engaged in to improve our methods and to address these problems, what new things we're building, what new structures we're putting in place, that they are the things that will build public trust rather than just, you know, repeatedly running this line that everything's fine.
1: Mm. I I don't think we give the public enough credit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, That that if we – and if we did and if we – engaged in a proper sort of education program about how to tolerate scientific uncertainty, then that would leave us much better placed in the end because it isn't, you know, this is not just about the replication crisis. It's about um, exploiting scientific uncertainty as well for public to suit a a political agenda. Hmm. And if if we got a bit better at just tolerating uncertainty... We have to make decisions anyway. We make a lot of decisions under uncertainty. Yeah. Mm. That we'd be better placed than when we have these sorts of episodes like the replication crisis.
1: Yeah. And the, obviously, this has been happening in the States, James, this weaponizing weaponizing open science.
2: Oh, um, no, you have to understand that here in in terms of the uh, multi-decade tradition of people within uh, the house of reps and the senate throwing periodic wobblies about how science is a waste of money and we don't get nothing from it and look at all this ridiculous shit like the thing a few years ago where there was a they everyone congress went apeshit because they they've uh they paid out a four hundred thousand dollar grant and it was for shrimp running on a treadmill you probably don't remember this story but it was everywhere for a little while shrimp running on a treadmill how possibly could you it was about like underwater locomotion and how it works and how you actually do it it was about how you model that so it has implications for how you propel something through the water um how evolutionary pressure works on an animal that to- that is uh, growing in an environment like that. And when it turns out, the guy came to the Congress to give testimony, he built the treadmill out of spare parts for 17 bucks and spent the $400,000 on wages for people to put the shrimp no. on the treadmill. <laughs> and it was um it was fucking asinine. And there's been lots and lots of other asinine things. And the Australian government's done this before previously. I probably remember these episodes a little better than... um other people because uh, I had a little list of them a while ago. there's every now and again. Remember, there's that whole thing like, oh, research needs to be in the national interest, and we're not, we're oh, not interested that thing. in the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, reproductive practices of women in Egypt, etc. Until you go, oh, okay, well, if you understood that, then maybe we'd have successful contraceptive programs with people from North Africa here. So, like, how it works in a traditional cultural level is actually pretty useful because these people have got really high rates of. Um, different infections or whatever i made i made that bit up this is the point the research seemed really solid anyone who's getting arc money in the first place has worked for it um because they don't give those things up for free yeah the grant lines suck in australia so anyone who anyone who writes a grant about that and gets the money is doing awesome yeah so it comes on the back of a long history of willfully misunderstanding how uh, how scientific aims go together with the use of public money to uh, attribute outcomes on causality to shit we do. Um, it's just- a, And it, look, if it wasn't that, they'd still be like going through the new NIH grants here and picking out the, the ones the that sounded the most ridiculous on the face of it and then doing that. So you've got to understand that these people are mendacious fucks, Right. So there's nothing particularly interesting about the replication crisis. We're not giving ammunition to the enemy. They're just grabbing anything that's near to hand and throwing that. It exists, therefore it will be grabbed. It doesn't make it any different to the the shrimp on the fucking treadmill. (laughs) Worried about his figure wearing a tiny little headband. (laughs) <laughs> but you can't tell he's sweating because he's already in salt water. Shrimp are notoriously fickle when it comes to their figure. I don't know what I'm saying now. Look, um the 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 other the other thing is like uh, the I mean I can't let this go, Fiona. You know? I was like try, trying not to rage out before the the idea, not just the whole like oh, you're giving ammunition to the enemy, but like for Christ's sake, do it quietly because the public yeah. can't be trusted with the actual truth. And if they just leave us alone. Um, and we can fix it up on the quiet. Anyone who's tried fixing anything up will tell you just how well quiet works. Mm. Quiet's really, really ineffective because quiet is an absolutely fantastic breeding ground for being ignored or marginalized or pushed out or generally sort of stonewalled into silence. There, there was. So, people, people are continually, when it comes to error detection stuff. People are kind of like the idea, oh, no, it's going to be in the medias. People are going to be talking about it publicly. Something must actually be done. You're like, oh, okay, well, sometimes that's the one bullet in your gun when you're dealing with someone who's deliberately honest and uh, dishonest, I should say, and, um, you know, mendacious and difficult. It's the one thing that they don't want to do is actually have to explain themselves in public, which is ostensibly the whole deal of how the information acquires value in the first instance. That is the absolute minimum amount of ranting I can do. I'm sorry. Mm.
1: I, I, I do think it's it, it's good in the sense that the government is talking about research quality. Um, of, of course, it's for it's for nefarious means, um, but uh, I, I guess it's good that the government or or is open to these ideas. And then, and then I saw there was um, the, the chief scientist of Australia, um, Alan,
0: Alan Finkel.
1: Finkel, yeah. He recently came out to to, to say that um, you know we need to improve science, um, which which is great. Um, but, um, does he have anything to do with the, 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 the grant funding agencies at all, or he's sort of a bit, is, is he a bit separate? Yeah. Because I mean, it, it's, it's great that people in power are saying these things, but, but if they actually have the power to, 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 change by changing incentives, if yeah. we're changing incentives from the, the grant funding agencies, then you can actually improve these things.
0: There has been a campaign running here for a while in Australia, I mean, by here i mean in Australia, um led by a guy called David Vo, who's a cancer researcher, cell biologist. And he's he's had a call, like, when I say it, it's going to sound like the same thing that the nationals are proposing, but it's actually,
1: the, the good it's actually quite a different thing. <laughs> so he's <laughs> been lovely.
0: running a campaign for a, um, uh, an independent office, like an ombudsperson in Australia for research integrity. So, he does a lot of um, kind of fraud detection, you know, writing writing letters to editors of journals when he discovers fraudulent plots in articles and has many, many times been um, dismissed by editors saying, you know, uh, yeah, sure, it's it's probably a fraudulent plot, but that person's really famous or they're not going to deal it's too late or some some excuse. Wow,
2: I cannot relate to this so, man's experience no, right, at all.
0: Yeah, I'll introduce you when you're here. Um, Rock on. And, uh, and so, you know, the, when the journal won't take those things seriously and when institutions also have an incentive to, to cover things up or keep things quiet, in Australia there's nowhere else to go. So we're, we're actually one of one of the only developed countries that doesn't have this kind of independent office so he's been on a campaign to establish a position like that in australia which has and that's had a um, reasonable amount of support from you know me and people in my group and other researchers interested in this area but it's a it's it's coming from a very different place and driven by very different Motives and
2: interests than where mm. the national party proposal is coming from. Well, the, the the oh the Ora in any countries normally it's not just sort of like oh let, let's get Bob as mate uh, right. <laughs> Barry Barry the cat who also has a hat just like him from Maruchidor to be the head of the fucking Insti- institute of Institute of Cole is Cough Wonderful. Um, an Ora is a totally independent body. They make their own internal deliberative decisions here. And while they're sort of subject to oversight, there's no one that tells them what to do. There's no broader agenda. The whole thing is like walled off. The one here is like pretty much 40 people in some drab building in Washington or something who do the best that they can, I think, with a lot of... uh, institutional problems I mean yeah Australia doesn't have an ORI but I mean the one they've got here has had a few problems from time to time so um, it's actually really exciting to think about setting one up from scratch because there's an awful lot of there's an awful lot of things that could be avoided Um, it's a it's a real but it's when it comes to the really egregious stuff it's really necessary when something goes up the chain Because there's a point past which it's just not in... I mean, a university is a financial institution. It's just not in their interests to act on things. If you have an investigation at something, it's personnel matter. We're not going to comment on personnel matters. The record's not actually going to be released. They'll tell Professor McFamous, that was very naughty. Don't make your Western blots out of, like, blurry photos of your cat's litter. Um, that's bad. And then definitely don't copy the catch hits from line to line and splice your blots, you naughty man. Now go from this room and never sin anymore. And the papers of that are in some filing cabinet. Never sees a light of day, you know, another million dollars gets sucked out of the public purse and some charlatan thrives. I mean that's the worst end of the stick, obviously, but that is still, like, not the absolute sharpest, you know? That's still actually some people, and it really sh- There's a, a point past which it shouldn't be possible for it to happen when you get to a, a degree of waste and a degree of flagrancy, I suppose. Yeah, so look, I'm, I'm glad that's a thing. I had no idea that was a thing. Is that recent?
0: The campaign, I would say, mm. it probably started a year, a year ago. Yeah, it's oh pretty man, recent. I'm
2: so out of the loop. So out of the loop. Down the we'll road, we will be back soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: well, we are going to wrap up today's episode. Um, thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: And um, and thank you, Fiona. Check thank out you. check out the Replicats project and the upcoming uh, Amos uh, conference as well. Um, That's all, and we'll be back again in two weeks with more Everything Hurts.
2: Yes, we will.